So today is the 3rd of July, 2023. Today is the anniversary of my ordination. It's been 47 years to the day since I ordained at Wat Nong Pa Pong, the 3rd of July, 1976. And at that time at Wat Nong Pa Pong, there was no electricity. The ordination hall, the Uposata hall, was uh, an old wooden hall. The ordination was around 8.30 p.m. And when the ordination was done, it rained very, very hard. So we hear that it's been 47 years, and I reflect that the time has passed and time keeps passing by. It's been 47 full years now since that day. And on that day, there were eight monks who ordained, and now there's two left, the other one being Venerable Ajahn Biak. So when one ordains and enters into the brahmacharya, the holy life, all bhikkhus and all novices say three times that in order to cross over all suffering, in order to realize nibbana out of compassion, please accept these robes. One says that to the preceptor. Sabadukha nisarna nibbana sachi karnataya imang kasawang kahetawa Papa Jetamang Bhante Anukampang Upadaya to make Nibbana clear. And one can ask, well, where is Nibbana? It is in the Dhamma. So having ordained already, one can feel a very deep sense of the Lord Buddha. One can feel the Buddha very deep in one's heart, or touches one's heart. One recollects the great wisdom, great purity, great compassion of the Buddha. We see that these qualities of the Buddha have no limit, no bound. And we speak of these qualities of wisdom, purity, and compassion as an abbreviated way of speaking of the qualities of the Buddha. And so this quality of faith, of sata, Belief so arise, arises in the heart. One has this firm faith. It may not be verified faith, but it's f firm in the heart, this belief. And this faith gives the heart strength and passion to practice the Dhamma, to bring the mind to meet with Nibbana. So we see that the fully self-awakened Buddha had this great wisdom to know that which is valuable, that which is not valuable, that which is beneficial, that which is harmful, and to know clearly that which should be known clearly. And the Buddha was able to know these very deep and profound dhammas that no one else was able to know, specifically the Four Noble Truths of Dukkha, the cause of dukkha, the cessation of dukkha, and the path leading to the cessation of dukkha. And the Lord Buddha taught these Four Noble Truths 
in fullness and clarity. The Buddha was able to realize them for himself, to know them clearly, was able to walk the path himself, was able to understand dukkha, abandon its cause, realize its end, and completely develop the path to the end of suffering. So this is all through the wisdom of the Buddha, and no one else has wisdom like this. No one else was able to realize this. And so the wisdom of the Lord Buddha was able to know what should be abandoned, which is the the outflows, the defilements, the kilesas in the heart. And the Buddha knew the way to this, which is the path of virtue, collectedness, and wisdom, the way to abandon the defilements, these defilements of sensual craving, craving for becoming, and craving for not becoming. And the Buddha was able to know the path to abandon all ignorance, to abandon all past conditioning. So this is the purity of the Buddha. And we call the Buddha an Arahant, a fully awakened one, a fully self-awakened Buddha. And the Buddha was able to awaken by himself, to realize the pure mind, to realize arahantship. So this is the purity of the Buddha. So the Buddha has this purity, has this wisdom, but the Buddha didn't realize that just for himself. But he has the loving kindness and compassion to teach all beings after he was awakened and after he entered the bliss of liberation he walked to go meet with the group of five ascetics on the 15th day of the 8th lunar month, which we commemorate as Asalaha Puja. So the Buddha went to teach all beings, all humans, all devas, to bring their minds ever higher, to abandon that which is unwholesome, to develop that which is wholesome, to have virtue, cultivate the mind, to practice the holy life, to see the drawbacks in the cycle of birth and death, the drawbacks in samsara. So the Buddha taught the Dhamma, taught these four noble truths, and this was able, or this led to savakas arising in the world, which is the enlightened disciples. So this is through the Dhamma teaching of the Buddha, and this is through the loving kindness and compassion of the Buddha that the Buddha taught with a heart of compassion these 84,000 Dhamma verses, which is the Dhamma that leads beings to the ending of suffering. And so this is the text of the teachings. We can also say the suttas. But then we bring that knowledge and those texts to practice to put them into practice so that knowing arises in our own hearts, which is the Dhamma of practice. And this is the Dhamma that's able to care for all beings such that beings don't fall into the lower paths, that beings are safe from danger. 
So coming to ordain, one has the faith to listen to the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha. We see that the Sangha has practiced following the teachings of the Buddha and put them into practice. One has firm faith that the Buddha was rightly self-awakened, taught the Dhamma, and that there is the Sangha, the Sangha that have known the Dhamma, following in the footsteps of the Buddha. And so having this firm faith, we strive in our practice. We see that there is the awakened or enlightened Sangha in the Buddha's time. And then in the present day, there is Venerable Ajahn Chah, who was an arahant in truth, and Venerable Ajahn Man, these great fully awakened beings. So we have this faith and we have the faith to practice following their teachings and they themselves practice following the Dhamma and discipline that the Buddha laid down. And then they taught following that. So we chant Supatipano, Samichi Patipano, Nyaya Patipano. So these are the awakened disciples of the Buddha are worthy of gifts, worthy of hospitality, worthy of offerings, worthy of respect. And so this is the Sangha in terms of liberation, in terms of Vimuti. Then there's the Sangha, the disciples in terms of convention. And when you do the ordination chanting with the preceptor, then one becomes a member of the Sangha in terms of convention. And in order for that Sangha to arise in our own hearts, the Sangha of liberation, we have to strive in Dhamma practice to bring the mind to collectedness and samadhi, to realize the ending of ignorance. We see that during the ordination ceremony, the preceptor taught, according to the Dhamma, these five meditation objects of Kesa, Loma, Tanta, Tacha, Naka. These five body parts of hair of the head, hair of the body, nails, teeth, and skin, backwards and forwards. And so these five meditation objects, they're the objects that the mind is habitually lost in. So we practice to know them clearly, to see them clearly. And to do this, we have to practice to train the mind, to give rise to clear knowing according to the truth. In the beginning, we use a meditation word to establish the meditation word in the heart, such as chanting it to be so. Whenever we have free time, we chant, and we see that when the mind has some free moments and the chanting can arise of its own accord. We can also recite these five meditation objects in the mind. Kesa, Loma, Naka, Danta, Tacho, Tacho, Loma, Naka, Danta, Gesa. This can make the mind very much at ease, very relaxed. It can eradicate any liking that is there in the heart. Because when the eye sees a form, and one takes that form to be beautiful, 
the mind has liking for that form. We see in the Vinaya, the monastic discipline, it's an offense for a monastic to look in a mirror and for the purpose of looking at or to see one's reflection as attractive or beautiful. It's a Vinaya offense. It's also offense to look into water, to look at one's reflection, to see it as attractive, or even to look in the lid of one's alms bowl, because this is seeing incorrectly. We have to contemplate this, to see the body is not beautiful, to contemplate these five parts. And so how is the body not beautiful? We see that sweat and oil are constantly extruding through the skin, coming out through the skin. There's uh, bacteria and different kinds of uncleanliness growing on the skin. And if we don't wash the body, then this bacteria and virus and fungus, it grows more and more, and it creates a strong smell as well. And then we clean it and we feel at ease. But if we don't clean it, then we see that clearly. Or for instance, the top of the head we see is beautiful. But again, if it's not cleaned, then it's not beautiful. Nature becomes very apparent. No one wants it. Or if one takes a food that's very delicious or very expensive, as soon as one puts it into the mouth, then its value is gone. One puts it into this body, and the value of that food, the desirable nature of that food is gone. And this is the same for all people. We can look at the nails of the hands or feet. We can see that they're unclean. We look at bones made of calcium. When our eyes see the teeth, we can think that they're beautiful. And some people have the merit to have teeth that are just right, not too big, not too small, and clean and in a row. And one sees them as beautiful according to convention. But we have to contemplate at this point, how are they beautiful? What are they made of? Where did they come from? We see that it's made of calcium comes, it comes from the bones. And we see that it changes in time. That when they change, then the teeth can become a source of great pain and torture when the teeth degrade. And if we don't clean them, the teeth become dirty and smelly. They're a place for bacteria to grow. we look at this body, if we take off the skin, then the whole body becomes very red. One can see the blood and blood vessels. The hands are red, the feet are red, the head, the stomach, all over. It's all red when there's no skin. In my fourth range retreat, I listened to Venerable Ajahn Chah give this teaching that if one were to remove the skin from all the monks, and one can see that it'd be red all over, be something very unclean and unattractive. 
I listened to this teaching and I believed it. And I believed that it was like this in truth, but I didn't yet see it clearly. Then I continued to practice and then I saw that what really is red all over. It falls apart, it's unclean. So this is faith or belief in the Buddha Dhamma Sangha, the faith to bring the teachings into practice, to give rise to samadhi and collectedness in order to see clearly. And the more that this clear seeing arises in the heart, the more the heart becomes still, the more the heart feels dispassion and weariness towards the world, the more the heart feels joyful. Because when the mind is lost in beauty, then the mind is low and sad. The mind is disturbed by this perception of beauty. So we have to contemplate it as not beautiful. We have to explain to the mind that it's not beautiful. And to consider what is the skin covering. We see the skin on the outside, but what's on the inside? On the outside, we say that there's these five parts for short. Then there's another 27 body parts on the inside in terms of the 32 parts of the body. And they're all not beautiful. But the mind is lost in thinking of them as beautiful. This is seeing wrongly. So we practice to see it as not beautiful. We can have clear mental images of this arise in the mind. You can see the body degrade and disintegrate, to see it break into these four natural elements of earth, air, fire, and water. We see it all as emptiness. This is seeing the Buddha. And seeing the Buddha, then the mind becomes Sangha. And this all begins with planting the seed of faith just like planting the seed of a tree. One plants the seed of faith since one ordains and one gives the tree fertilizer, gives it water, protects it from insects and disease. And that tree gradually grows up more and more and it, get, and it bears fruit. So just in the same way, the seed of faith Faith in the Buddha Dhamma Sangha is planted. We nurture that faith and cultivate that faith so that it becomes deeper to the point where it's achara sata, faith that doesn't waver, faith that's completely firm. So it all starts with this quality of belief and then it, we keep practicing until we see the truth for ourselves. In the beginning it's faith and belief without seeing but we keep practicing until we see clearly. In the end, we see and know the Dhamma. In the beginning, it's important to start like this. And this beginning point is an important point in one's practice. We have this excellent opportunity, so we should endeavor to practice and strive, whether one is a monastic or a layperson, one may not have ordained externally, but one can ordain in the heart. And then practicing, when one sees the Dhamma, it's the same. 
whether one's a monastic or a lay person, it's not different. One sees that everything degrades and passes away. So may you set your hearts on this practice of mental cultivation to have mindfulness in all postures of sitting, standing, walking, and lying down, to keep reciting one's meditation word and contemplating, to bring the mind to peace and collectedness. And why should we do this? Because everything is unstable and uncertain, all conditioned formations. So we do this meditation and practice that means that we have merit. And so we keep contemplating that life is uncertain, death is certain, time goes by quickly. I ordained when I was 22 years old, now I'm 69 years old. 47 years have passed by, 47 full years. And there may not be many years left. For instance, if one were to live to 80, that would mean that there is just 11 years left. And if one has the merit to live longer than that, it's not certain. So may you set your hearts on this practice, mental cultivation. The great meditation masters are still here. So therefore we should strive in our practice so that we can know and see the Dharma for ourselves.